Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast, where entrepreneurs come to learn how to live their truth, get rich, and make a massive difference in the world. I'm your host, Adam Force, co-founder at Change Creator and co-creator of the Captivate Method. Each week, we talk to experts about leadership, digital marketing, and sales strategies that you can implement in your business and life to go big. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to grab awesome resources that will help drive your business forward. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast Show. This is your host, Adam Force. I'm excited today because we'll be talking to somebody that has experience um, as a expert mediator. And you might be thinking, Adam, why are we talking to a mediator? Uh, This is really interesting because he gets into companies um, and they have different kinds of conflicts and challenges, you know, among uh, teams and things like that. Um, And he starts seeing different behaviors and what they lead to and how he can solve these problems. And, you know, is it better to have hierarchy in a company or is it better to have a flat organization? Um, All these things come into play for us as entrepreneurs, as we are building teams and cultures for our businesses, right? So it's a really fascinating conversation, and we're going to jump into it with uh, Jeremy Pollock. Okay, um, he he is a conflict resolution expert, speaker, educator, all that kind of stuff. Um, he regularly contributes on topics like leadership, organizational conflict management, and he you know um, his publications. I, you'll find them in like Forbes, Fast Company, Industry Week, all that stuff. So he's been around for a while. He's been doing this stuff for a while. He's got degrees in a PhD in psychology, all that kind of stuff. Uh, So hang in there. We're going to jump into that conversation in just a moment. Um, If you missed the last episode, so we we did uh, skip a week last week, actually. (laughs) Um, And so we apologize for that. But if you did miss the last episode that we published, it was a really great episode that you want to check out when you get a chance. And it was with Felicia Searcy on how to start living your dream life. Um, She has an incredible background and you'll hear all about it when you jump into that episode, but we would get into a lot of mindset stuff and it's so important as we try to become that next version of ourselves so we can grow as an entrepreneur. All right. So Again, that's Felicia Searcy, if you want to check that out. Um, Yeah, so guys, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes, all that good stuff. Um, We'll be making some big changes. We actually, if you go to changecreator.com, we did update the site with a new um, little ebook, which is the insider's guide to discover stories that matter for your brand. All right. Um, Such an important part of business, and this is like a a fun part to learn, you know, how do we start discovering those stories? And then we have a little workshop that you'll be invited to if you want to check that out, um, where we get into, well, how, now that I know how to discover the stories, how do I make them engaging? How do I get people to take action? You know, create real retention with my content. Um, and we get into a lot of cool stuff about understanding the relationship between your brand and the stories that we're sharing, the types of uh, story pillars, as I call it, um, and what that looks like. So really fascinating stuff that will help really shift your mind into this marketing world. Um, So if you get the insider's guide, you'll get access and um, invites to those other things. All right. All right, guys, we're going to jump into this conversation uh, with Jeremy. Okay. Show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, what's up, Jeremy? Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. How's everything going today? Everything's good, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Awesome. Um, 
you know, you, your information kind of really caught my attention and I'm, I'm curious uh, to really dig into this conversation. So just to get everybody grounded, if you can just kind of define the types of ways that you support entrepreneurs, can you just give some brief descriptions there? Sure. I mean, the, the main way that I support entrepreneurs is now is through uh, communication and uh, conflict coaching. So helping entrepreneurs, especially when they're growing their businesses, they start to bring on employees, they want to have a good workplace culture, um, trying to help them establish some best practices um, around, you know, managing conflict, also around communicating with their staff and making sure their staff is, you know, sort of happy in terms of relationships at work. Yeah, that's kind of the main way. Yeah, because when I hear conflict, I have all kinds of thoughts that go through my head. Yeah. And there might be different definitions. And that's so it's helpful just to hear how you kind of clarify that. Um, I'd be curious to know, like, well, how do we get in? How do we get into that? Like what? (laughs) Like, how does somebody become and build expertise on that kind of support? Yeah. Right. Just like a lot of, lots of communication. No, um, yeah. uh, so, well, so, I mean, so I started out as, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. Um, and so I kind of learned a little bit as I, as I went about, you know, what helps keep employees happy or, um, what kind of conflicts emerge and that kind of thing. But eventually I got really interested in kind of studying it academically. Um, I, I, I originally went to school. I, I started coaching. I do, I had a, I built a coaching practice, um, alongside some businesses that I ran. And um, while I was doing that, I was interested in kind of getting into academics. So I, I started, I went to school for um, a graduate degree, a master's degree in anthropology, uh, because I was really interested in the psychology, the evolutionary psychology of cooperation and conflict, which is, um, which is one sort of main section of study in evolutionary anthropology. Um, and then I, and then I went um, and got another graduate degree, a master's in conflict resolution and peace building. Uh, which is more of an applied degree and like sort of looking at like how, how to mediate um, uh, essentially like mediate conflicts between people. Um, and then just started studying communication theory and um, you know, and get in doing some certificates of coaching and organizational development coaching and that kind of stuff. So just sort of that thing, but you know, so simultaneously building my business and promoting myself as a conflict resolution a- expert and developing um, a curriculum around it for writing a lot about it. And just kind of learn, learning as I go through uh, both academics and sort of the real world applied uh, manner. Do you remember, I guess, because now it's been a while, like how you first started actually getting paying clients? Like when you, I know like a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I always like to ask that when people have been entrepreneurs yeah. for a while, because a lot of people listening are in that world of like the, 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 the customers trickling in with a lot of hustle, but it's like, how do we start? like getting a a more consistent, predictable flow of customers. I'm just curious about your experience and building that up and and how that worked. Well, I'll tell you, man, I can't, I come from a a long line of marketing and digital marketing, especially. Um, I started, when I started out after college, when I, my undergrad, um, I started working in a marketing company, direct response company, which is like infomercials and that sort of thing. So really hardcore marketing and kind of understanding the theory of marketing. I learned from a couple of great mentors in that space. Um, and then from there, I, 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 when I went off and to do my own business, um, 
I had a, I had a martial arts academy um, and I, I grew that to a very large academy in Los Angeles. And that was all through search engine optimization. Um, I mean, basically we just got a steady flow all through our SEO. I, I found the, the value in content and SEO driven content and learned, learned it from uh, the guy that I hired to do it. I actually paid him to teach me. Uh, so it was not, you know, not as smart for him, but I ended up yeah. learning it and then kind of learning more on my own. And, and just like every business that I've had has been driven through SEO and including my current business, my coaching practice, my consulting okay. firm, all of it, because we just rank across the board for all types of okay. keywords. So that's, that's been the steady flow. That's interesting. Um, and I'd be curious because that's a long game to play. It's a long game. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, sure. you, you got to invest a lot of either time or money up front and you might start seeing results and it could, it could take a year, right? It could take a while. Yeah. De- depending on your space and depending on the keywords and in your geographic location a lot. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, we'll jump. So, uh, so, by, so, so by the way, like just to, just to pee back yeah. on that, every, every company that I've started essentially, uh, I, I started it while I was still working in another business. So like I had a martial arts academy and I was like, Hey, I think I want to go into coaching eventually. So while I'm in the tail end of my, of my academy, I build a coaching website. I start optimizing for that. Uh, after about a year of doing that, I finally got to the place where I was getting enough coaching clients where I said, okay, I can let go. So I sold my martial arts academy. Got it. And then I did the same thing with my consulting firm, you know, during my coaching. Yeah. So I always had a steady income because I know that it's a long-term game. It's going to take six months to yeah. a year to start getting clients through SEO. It does. It does. And we're big fans of SEO over here at Change Creator. And just to close the loop on this part of the conversation, I, I'm sure people in their minds are like, yes, SEO is important. I get it. And and a lot of people might shy away because of that long tail. Like, you know, yeah. we got to start getting money in the door if we don't have another business, right? Or some yeah, other yeah. Uh, income. I mean, over the year, is it like you're putting one cornerstone piece of content out for a month? Like, can you give people a sense like, well, if you're going to take that approach, like how much content are we talking about to really start making it work? Yeah. I mean, the more, the better. Right. But, but um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm doing at least right now. I mean, I, here's the thing. I, here's what I tell also people try to do SEO. Um, you, you find the keywords that you think you can rank for. You might need some help doing that from some experts and that kind of stuff. But um, it's really cheap to build content. I mean, I have, I have writers that work for me. We, we, we put up a piece, we put up a, a piece of content every single day. So whether it's a blog article, a research really? summary, a video or something, every single day, we put up a piece of content. That's now when I was in my coaching practice, I was doing at least twice a week. Uh, my martial arts Academy doing two to three times a week. So whether it's a, a new landing page uh, or, a, or a, just a new services page or a new geographic city page or a new blog article, or there's something coming up every day, uh, like not every day, but most days. So, that I can do yeah. That. so yeah, I, I, and you know, you can, if you want, if uh, it's hard to, tr- to start a business without having some capital to invest, even if you had a thousand bucks a month or 500 bucks a month to invest, spend that on getting, you know, you can find some great writers for 15 bucks a blog. Like that's what I was, you know, and you just, they just put up some content and it's not bad content. It's good content. You know, and you just and, give them in a sense of the topics and stuff like that. And yeah. 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 I put and keyword I, and list could, together and I, and I just give them the keyword list and I go, just choose a keyword for each blog, mark it off that it's done when you're done with it. It's like 500, you'll never get through it. Just, you know, so. <laughs> What's your minimum word count that you want people just so SEO doesn't ding you as like thin content? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I think Yoast says best practice 350 minimum, you know, so that's kind of yeah. where yeah. I would stick to, you know. Yeah. So, okay. So that's been a, a, a your process, right? Building up yeah. um, a foothold in the market, basically by capturing certain keywords, being consistent with the content. And I wanted yeah. to bring that up because yeah, we'll talk about the, uh, the conflict uh, support that you give people, but as people were trying to start these businesses, like there's a reality, like this stuff does take time. It does take consistency, yeah. but you also need to know, right. Uh, Jeremy, like you got to know what your brand, like really the core of your brand. And if you don't Absolutely. know it really well, you're going to have these random keywords that you think might be the right stuff. So you got to know like what that should be. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you know, waste a lot of time. Absolutely. Yeah. You got, I think you gotta be, you gotta be clear on, I I'm big on being in a niche, you know, of like, you know, and, and even if it's not like, like we can serve any company essentially, but we have a very specific specialty. And like when I was coaching, you know, before my, my brand was inner warrior coaching because I came from a martial arts background and I used some martial arts philosophy in the coaching. So I wanted to get that niche because people that found me that resonated with that idea, I want to build my inner warrior, my inner power, that kind of stuff that, that I would stand out among the hundreds of other life coaches or something because people would resonate with that, you know? So I think that's super important to find the niche and then you go after your SEO and that kind of stuff. And then the last part of it is like, you can do all the SEO in the world and get tons of traffic, but if you can't convert your leads <laughs> yeah. into, into like opportunities and your opportunities into sales, yeah, you, you know, you're dead in the water. So that's the whole other part of it is like, how do you, how are you doing conversions? What's your sales cycle like that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Once you get them, then what? And that's yeah. where we come into play here at change. Right. <laughs> right. So awesome. I appreciate you sharing that stuff. I, I think it's just really helpful for people to hear, um, you know, how that all works for people. Um, so, you know, as far as the types of coach, tell me about your ideal customer, your niche right now. Um, I know you have a couple of different coaching programs, but let's focus on one of them. You can pick, tell me who that customer is and the problem that you're solving for them. I know there's probably various, but I'm sure there's a core story of yeah. this is the kind of person with this type of situation that you're really kind of like going after. Can you get into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, for us, because we're conflict and communication coaches. Um, so who reaches out to us are, either small business owners that don't have an HR person um, because either they or they have an employee in their small business that is just not getting along with people um, or not communicating well, or they have a couple of people that are just at odds with each other and in conflict. And there's just like, they're having trouble and they're valuable enough not to fire to, to invest a little bit of money in to see if they can develop some of their communication uh, styles. And then um, when you get into the little bit of a bigger business into sort of like the mid-range businesses, uh, our typical uh, client is someone who has a very small HR team. So maybe one or two people in HR, they don't have a large HR team and they just don't have the capacity to, or, or even, you know, they don't have the opportunity really because it's like, you know, there's, there's sort of mistrust with the company and you have to have someone come in from a third party who's independent and all that stuff. The HR person just doesn't have the capacity to coach an employee who's having a lot of problems there. And so they're like, we need help again, valuable enough. We don't want to have to replace them if we don't have to. So let's find someone who's an expert in communication and conflict coaching to help this person figure out how do I manage conflict better? How do I have better relationships? How do I rebuild trust here? You know, all that stuff. So that's kind of who we focus on small to medium businesses with very small or no HR departments. 
Okay. That makes sense. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a coaching company or an e-commerce company, right? It's just that the, the, the niche for you is really just the size and not having HR and stuff like that. That's where you fit in. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, yeah, exactly. So like the industry, we've worked in like every industry imaginable, like, we, you know, all across verticals. Um, but yeah, it's really about, for us, it's about the size and the, and the size of the HR department and who's running HR. And a lot of times it's the owner or like the COO or something like that. Got it. Um, you know, eventually we will try to get more into the larger companies, but it's, they have, you know, big HR departments and some of them have mediators on staff, ombudsman on staff. So it's kind of hard. To <laughs> yeah. Now you did mention you do some life coaching, like people who are maybe in corporate trying to change what they're doing. Yeah. Is that a separate pillar? It, it is. Yeah. Like I have, so I have a separate coaching practice aside from my consulting firm um, that um, I don't really promote that as much anymore because I'm so busy with my consulting business, but, um, but I do sometimes get referrals still. So I'm not doing any SEO on that anymore, but I do sometimes get referrals that I'll take on. And a lot of times it's people that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially unhappy with the circumstances in their life. Maybe it's the relationships they're unhappy with. Maybe it's, they just, they're not doing meaningful work or purposeful work. Um, and, and that's a lot, a lot of times I'm dealing, I'm, I'm coaching entrepreneurs, like small business entrepreneurs who, are either in a startup phase or they're in some, they're in some business or corporate business. They don't like, they want to get out of it and they want to do their own thing. And I'm just kind of helping them, you know, a, on, on a psychological level, build some confidence that they can do it and that they're afraid of leaving their sort of steady paycheck and that's going to be okay. And there's going to be a way to, to figure that out and like, you know, create a budget for themselves to, to feel yeah. somewhat secure. Um, and then be on just on an actionable level, because a lot of people, they think about stuff for years and years and they never do it. And so if you have a little, you have someone coaching you and giving you accountability, working out the steps. What's the first step we got to do here? What do you have to do? You have to do some design drops. Do you have to do some research to figure out what people want? You know, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. let's take a little step each week so we can start making this a reality rather than just a dream. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things that came to mind for me as you were talking about the conflict stuff, your consulting business was a story I heard about the guy who actually he's, he had an agency. Uh, I'm a big branding geek and I love branding and storytelling. That's what we're all about. And so I can't remember what book it was. I was reading a story about the guy who ran an agency that picked up Amazon and actually created the Amazon brand. Right. But before that happened, they actually, he was telling a story. He's like, yeah, his partner came up. He's like, you know, I got a, a group of these, these young guys, they're working off the computers at their dorm or something. And, I, <laughs> and he's like, they're like, well, they want to get out. They want us to help build a brand, do all this stuff. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, what's their business model? Like what's what, and they had no answers for anything. He's like, all right, <laughs> bring them in. Ends up, it was Yahoo. <laughs> you know, they created the Yahoo logo, the branding, and all this stuff. But the challenge was nobody at that team at Yahoo, as it grew and everything else could make, could get on the same page with decision-making. Like they had, apparently they had an opportunity to acquire Google, but they never did because wow. they could never agree on how much to pay for it. And I see this, like when I hear that and I hear what you are supporting people with, I see that as a form of conflict as well that hurts the business if nobody can oh, get sure. on the same page in the C-suite, right? So does that like come up at all with these types of like, everyone's just on a different page and it's like the business can't move forward, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if, especially if they have a more lateral type of organization where there's where they've where they've tried to be more democratic. There's not a there's not a clear hierarchy in terms of who's making decisions about what. That can get really messy, and that's certainly a, an area ripe for conflict. You know, so so I mean, I we we are what one thing we find a lot is. I think a lot of small to medium businesses don't bother putting clear job descriptions together or even, or even sort of helping people stay accountable in their lanes and not crossing mm -hmm. over or not knowing what their lane is because it's like, everybody's kind of doing everything. It's kind of like a, um, you know, fire drill, but I, but that's a, that's a place where we see a lot of conflict and something that we do and we come in a lot of times is we, that's one thing we find is like we have to sit down and get everybody's, job descriptions and their roles and duties and what their lane is really clear and on paper and people agree to it so that everybody knows because if if it's if if you don't have that it's like well who's making the final decision about this particular <laughs> yeah. topic and who knows and then it's and then it's just like nothing gets done productivity falls out the rip morale goes down you know that's interesting yeah. so you have have you worked with like the flat organizations versus the hierarchy like traditional yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that try to have flat, you know, they call it flat. They try to have flat. Um, I don't know. It doesn't always seem to work very well when we've, when we've done some organizational assessments in flat organizations um, and, and typically like they were a hierarchy and then they changed into a flat organization uh, and, and people just like, they're not super happy with it, you know, because even, even people that even, you know, because people that feel like, Hey, I'm a senior, I've been here for 30 years. And this guy comes in six months ago. We're at the same level because we're lateral, you know, we're flat organization. Okay. Like, yeah. I get that. This, this is not, this is not like, they should know that I'm a, a senior level. And so they can come to me and I can mentor them. But if we're not, if that's not explicit, like no one knows who's like kind of in charge or who has more information than each other and stuff. Okay. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, there's advantages to it, but there's a lot of, I think, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It always sounds nice. Like, yeah, we're all yeah. just, you know, we have our areas of expertise and, but yeah. you're right. Like who is the, uh, the mentor who, like, if I've, if you've been there selling these products for 30 years, like you right. know how to do this. So you, you know, it's nice to hear someone else's ideas, but there still is that level of experience that you just don't have in the company. Right. That's intimate with yeah. the company, which that's interesting because I've always liked the idea of a flat organization. It was like, you know, forget this hierarchy. It's very traditional mad men like years ago. Yeah. Um, but there might be some value to that. And it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is you see more conflict or different forms of conflict kind of brewing in those types of situations. I, I think so. I think hierarchies work well. Um, I think when, when there's leaders at the helm, and at the end of the, because there's, there's a, there's a, there's a healthy mix that yeah. which we find. Okay. So we, we find, you know, if we, if there's conflict is a lot of times it's like, it's one extreme or the other. It's either no one knows what their roles are. Everyone's doing everything, or it's like a flat organization. No one has different titles. And all that. That's place for conflict. Other place for conflict is total authoritarian, you know, regime, which is like one person makes decision, doesn't include anyone else in the input and that kind of stuff. So there's this healthy balance between you yeah. can have a hierarchy where, you know, there's a person making decisions at the end of the day and it's, if the buck stops with them. However, Got they're it. including people in a democratic process to get input, to weigh all the ideas and decisions and then 
eventually go, here's the decision I'm coming up with based on everybody's input. Here's why I think it's important. And then, you know, creating that sort of a conversation, making it a very collaborative process. So there's a, there's a good, you know, I think there's a good balance there. Listen, I, the, the mind, the human mind is, is I think structured so socially to look for hierarchies, to know who's in charge of what and, and to have some structure. And yet, the human mind is also wired for a sense of autonomy and being able to yeah. uh, to feel like I have control over my own life. So I don't want to be controlled by someone else. So we have to balance these two needs that are sometimes, uh, you know, in opposition to each other. I think that that's that's something to think about. It makes a lot of sense to me, meaning you could still have if you know, like, yeah, there there's a bad taste in people's mouths. It sound like when we have that authoritarian like, oh, you guys are all making decisions in a bubble. My ideas are never heard. You don't appreciate me. Right. Like yeah, that kind of stuff. Really poor but, workplace with that. But you could still have all of that open up in a hierarchy. You could still Absolutely. hear ideas, keep people included. You could still have collaboration and it, it probably probably does help just keep things organized in a sense, but you still can have like some of those benefits you might appreciate from that flat organization. It sounds like. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I, and I will tell any entrepreneur, small business, you know, especially as you take on employees or you grow and you have, even if you have like a small team of three or four people, like involving them in decision-making, especially decisions that are going to affect them. And most decisions you make for your business are going to affect them um, at that, at that level. Um, involving them and getting their input and hearing their ideas, even if you don't necessarily agree with them, letting them know that you're considering their ideas and you're actually considering it, even if you don't go with it eventually, is just a huge, a huge factor in building trust with your team and a huge factor in building employee engagement, employee satisfaction, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's a super important part. Yeah, What and what have you, and we'll wrap up here in a minute, but what have you seen as, like, I like that what you just said there. And I want to piggyback off it in the sense of this idea of keeping people excited about what they do and happy, which means they're motivated. And I, I know, like I, we know if we all know the mission and we're all like, we join the company because we buy into like what we stand for and what we're doing. That's one way that everyone kind of is like, yeah, I'm part of this thing and it's special. What else? Like, like kind of like what you just mentioned, like what else is there that you see is important um, for people to consider as they build their teams? Well, I think, you know, looking at some basic psychological needs, you know, uh, is really important. So, you know, how does, how do people's identity, how does their autonomy, how does their feeling sense of growth and sort of basic needs, um, get served by the company. But I think, I think uh, an easy way to answer this is like, there, there are these, uh, if you look at what's called social identity theory, which is basically the, th- the theory that, um, uh, explains how people create a self-concept and the self-concept is emerging between both one's individual sense of self, like an individual identity yeah. and the groups that they're a part of. And so when you have an organization that people feel inspired by, like, Hey, I want to be part of this mission because I like what, the, what you're doing. I, I I'm aligned with the vision. So they have that yeah. strong group identity, but we have to also balance that with a strong individual identity. So if they're, if someone's part of a group that they feel like inspired by their mission is great, all that stuff, but they don't feel like they have any input. They don't feel like they have any significant contribution to the mission and all that stuff. That's going to be a problem, right? If on the other side, Hey, I'm contributing a lot to what we're doing, but what are we doing? The company's like, like, I'm really important here, but the company's like, has no mission. It has no like real purpose or, you know, it's just making money and that's all it is. You know, 
that's also going to be a problem. So if we can if we can align both, where people's identity with the group and their identity as an individual are both sort of optimally balanced with each other and, and on high levels, that's important. You know, love it. Those are all really great points. I, I think there's a lot of good, valuable takeaways because a lot of people, I think, listening, they are in the process of you know running their companies, maybe bringing on some team members, um, and I I kind of find value in all this, even if you're not hiring them for your company, but you're maybe they're VAs or they're like writers and designers that you work with on the regular. Right. Yeah. Um, all this still comes into play, right. Or even, even with customers, when you're dealing with customers, like knowing, like knowing that your vision as a company, like they want to do business with you as a vendor or whatever. And also that the customer has some input in the service that you're delivering to them in some way, whether, whatever that is appropriate, but like, yeah, like really creating that sense of you're a partner with your customer. So I think it applies on, on all, every, every relationship that's going to help your business, whether it's a customer relationship, uh, an employee relationship, a partnership relationship, this is, I think, applicable to all your relationships and in businesses, a lot about relationships. And that's, I think, where small, small businesses fail. Like there people are very technically proficient at stuff and they go, OK, well, I can start a business. But if you don't have the relationship skills, the communication skills, it's it's probably not going to go very far unless you bring in a partner who will be with you. And they're the relationship person. They're the communication person. You know? That's a great end note, because building relationships is really it makes or breaks a business, you know, it's it's how you get people emotionally tied into what you do. And if you're, you know, that's how I think of branding too. It's about how we make people feel. It's about the relationships we're building and everything we do in our companies is is an expression of our mission, our stories, like everything. Um, So I think you hit the nail on the head and I love hearing it. So appreciate you just sharing some of those hiring insights, what to look for and those areas where we need that balance. Right. Um, And I really love the, the flat versus hierarchy. Cause that's always something I've noodled on. And I'm like, well, it's nice just to hear someone who's worked with both companies and kind of, I never really thought of those pros and cons. Like it always sounds nice, but there's definitely an interesting balance if you, <laughs> in, in how yeah. you do it. There's an interesting literature on this. If you look at sort of the, um, like from the anthropology perspective, if you look at some smaller, like hunter gatherer tribes, like, like communities that are living in, you know, 50 to hundred people and that's their whole world. And a lot of them are egalitarian. And it's like this, this um, the, the literature on how egalitarian societies work, where there's not a higher hierarchies are necessary in large systems, large organizations, but in small organizations, you can have more egalitarianism, but there's a lot of parameters around it, a lot of things that constrain it and make it work. Like people get punished if they get too much. Uh, they, there's leaders for certain things at certain times, and then they have to come back to flat or else they get punished if they try to get too much um, too much like a, a, a power at some point. So there's all kinds of constraints with egalitarianism, but it's an interesting place to look at because it's kind of mimics organizations and how they might work. That's interesting. Is there any books on that kind of thing that you've read that stand out to you? Um, you remember? You know, the, the, re- the most recent thing I, I read that just kind of mentions it, but it's a really interesting book. And I think, um, I think it'd be worth reading is uh, Jonathan Haidt's uh, The Righteous Mind why people get divided over religion and politics. And he, he talks a lot about evolutionary psychology and anthropology and, and how groups cooperate and get into conflict and that kind of thing. Cool, cool, cool. Jeremy, I really appreciate your time. Why don't you let people know how do they learn more about what you're doing? Uh, maybe they have a small team and they want to uh, you know, get support um, from your services and stuff like that. Where do they go to find out more? 
Yeah, you can go to our website, pollockpeacebuilding.com. Uh, and I also have a book that came out uh, in the new year. It's called The Conflict Resolution Playbook. It's on Amazon. Conflict Resolution Playbook. Awesome. Jeremy, thanks again for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Change Creator Podcast. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to get access to free downloads and other great resources that will drive your business forward. 